So we are in 1 Corinthians and we are to chapter 3. And um, we'll do a little bit of review, but I hope to delve uh, directly into chapter 3. And we may actually complete chapter 3. It's, it's one of those chapters that's hard to deal with in pieces. Um, and we may need to come back to it, to some of the th items that are in it. But uh, there is an overall theme that we want to capture. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise once again that we can come and that we can read your word, that we can consider the things that are said. And uh, we pray that you would work by your spirit uh, to cause us to have clear understanding of what is set before us and also to lead us and guide us in faith that we might do the things that are well-pleasing to you. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Um, I was, did, well, just do one aside. Um, some of you, I believe most of you are aware uh, that our pastor um, had an issue. Uh, yesterday I got a phone call at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, saying, uh, can I do the worship service? Um, I was already planning to do this. Uh, the pastor is back at home, uh, but still apparently in more recovery mode. So uh, keep him in prayer. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll repeat that announcement uh, at the beginning of the service. So 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. And I'll begin by reading. Uh, the entire chapter, uh, which is 23 verses. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you, still not, you are still not able. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of, of, of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other, no other foundation 
can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work and what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own Craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So into our reading this morning of this passage. So as we considered again from last week, we looked at uh, a number of sections of chapter 2 that was speaking about wisdom and the notion of wisdom uh, coming from God, uh, that wisdom is delivered uh, through God, or from God, and, and through men, the, particularly Paul. And he speaks in a mystery as he speaks, and that the wisdom uh, is not only comes from Paul, which God has given to Paul to deliver, but God also makes it known to us by his spirit. He reveals his truth to us. Uh, the hidden wisdom is it speaks, God revealed. And then we also go beyond that, even as we have received and, and we have had this made known to us, we are also given the ability to understand it as it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, but God has revealed them to us through a spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And so with that as a, as a foundation, uh, again, we, we understand these things, and we talk quite a bit about the word of God and the importance of the word of God as now, the means, if you would, to continue the ministry of the apostles and the prophets that God inspired to write. 
And so his word is God speaking to us. And now the apostle seems to kind of uh, sort of, I guess, go off in a little bit of a, a tangent But one thing I want to point out right in the beginning is essentially when we get to verse 18 and following in this chapter, that's a summary of what he has basically said to us, partly in chapter 1, in chapter 2, and what he's going to now be telling us in chapter 3. So you do have this uh, continuation um, through a set of topics, if you would. And it does seem sometimes like when you read this, and particularly if you read a couple verses and then you jump to a couple other verses, it's like, what's the connection? How, how does this stuff uh, come together and, to, and fit? And so if we look at, uh, again, the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And verse 2, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. And it goes on a little bit more to talk about this notion of being carnal this notion of having um, uh, a, a very, if you would, infantile uh, approach in, in terms of their understanding of Christ, of their understanding of salvation, of their understanding of all of the things that Paul has sought to teach them. And remember, Paul spent a lot of time in Corinth. Paul was a, uh, as a minister or an apostle on a mission, he he spent over a year initially with Corinth. And so he spent a lot of time teaching. And for him to be now writing in this letter uh, that they are still babes, and uh, that they haven't gotten beyond milk is pretty outstanding. Because there's a sense in which you could say, well, Paul, what about your ministry? Didn't you fix this before? Is this, is this just a carryover? Now, this word carnal is a difficult word uh, because it implies what? If I said somebody was carnal, what would what, I be saying? Of the flesh. Evil. Are they saved? Maybe. It's probably a good way to say it, right? But the implication is, according to Calvin, that he's really referring to them in a way that would suggest that they really didn't get it, didn't get the gospel at all. Um, So where is our salvation rest? In the work of God, right? So even if they have a profession, even if they have 
they're making statements that may appear to be carnal, that doesn't mean they're not saved. So I think Calvin too would, would hesitate to say they were not saved, but what Paul is saying to him by using this language is that I might as well be starting all over and bringing the gospel to you for the first time. Okay, this is not about that they made it through, uh, let's say, theology 101, they were in 102 or 103 and so forth, that they are babes in that sense. He's talking about, did you really get it? Did you really understand salvation in the first place? And part of the reason is, why was the division, what was, what created the division where people were saying, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul or I'm of Cephas? Favoritism? But there's, there's something really uh, point blank. I think I even read it in here. There's a division, but what's the basis? Verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? So this is how they heard about the gospel. So the person who told them about the gospel, they elevated to prime, and they pretty much, based on that, created a division within the church. And so some were saying, well, I'm of Paul's salvation, and some were saying, I'm of Apollos' salvation, or his version of salvation. And they were making that kind of distinction. So, but the apostle goes on to more than just a matter that they didn't uh, receive uh, this, his teaching, essentially. Um, and the teaching of Scripture. He mentions that it, because one says I'm of Paul and one says I am of Apollos, uh, he implies very clearly in verse 4 that they are car carnal. But look at verse 3. For you are still carnal, for there, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So what does that mean for us? Up until this point, the distinction between the Apollos group and the Cephas group and the Pauline group was this notion of they're the ones who brought the gospel to us, and there were these divisions that were created. And you could almost say, well, maybe theologically speaking, Apollos was a very fine and well-educated person, so he attracted certain persons to him. Paul was gut shot. Boom, uh, here's the gospel. <laughs> and certain people were attracted to that. But he doesn't leave it there. He speaks about the fact that there was envy and strife. What's envy? 
jealousy. I want to be like, I want to be like, okay? And what is strife? Bickering. It's usually slightly short of warfare, <laughs> okay? Although sometimes we refer to strife as something that happens in warfare, okay? So it's, it's a battle. You're battling one another. It's not just a matter of there's two different perspectives. It's that there is a conflict, there is strife, there's a warring that is going on. And associated with it is an envy. So now it doesn't sound quite so pleasant as a matter of, again, I, I've, I've heard many people speak of this passage as, well, there are people who just come into the church, they're just learning uh, the basics, and they're getting milk as opposed to somebody who's getting solid food. But I think it's very clearly saying a little bit more than that. It's saying that the milk is because of this envy, of this strife, of this misunderstanding the gospel in terms of how it's been delivered. So Paul goes on and he wants to clarify, how is then the gospel delivered? And he asks in verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But they are ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. And he says, I planted, verse 6, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So the implication is that Paul is a minister, Apollos is a minister, they're bringing the gospel, but if it were not for the work of God behind the scenes, if you would, that there would be no understanding, there would be no uh, um, salvation. God has to work, God has to show, God has to open our minds to these things. And when he was talking about wisdom, that's what he was speaking about. We understand things differently than the world understands things. We understand things because God has revealed them. He's shown us these things. He's given us that ability to, to not only know them, but to understand them and to grow in them. And we do, in fact, grow. He says, so then neither he, in verse 7, who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For there is no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. 
So the picture is Paul laying the foundation. Why would Paul be the one laying the foundation in these descriptions? He's the first one there. He's an apostle. He's been given authority by Christ. Remember the beginning of the book? Also remember the beginning of Romans, how Paul is called to be an apostle. We spent a lot of time on his calling through Jesus Christ, through the will of God. And he is serving as, as it would a direct line from God in bringing this teaching, bringing this instruction. Apollos is taking it, he's shining it up, he's using more, more uh, uh, pretty language, if I could put it that way. Um, but he, and he's consistent with Paul. He's not, he's not taking exception to Paul. He's actually helping Paul. He's, he's encouraging the believers in Corinth to hold to these things that Paul taught. And again, he may be adding some more flair to it, but he's not changing the foundation. He's not kicking down the back wall, redoing that, and then starting anew. He's building on the foundation. No. I think, I think the, you have to go to other passages, which we did before, where Apollos and, and some in Acts, um, and there's a, uh, I think it may be 2 Corinthians where he's mentioned again, where he clearly is a very well-trained, well-spoken, Alexandrian, grown up in uh, area. So he, he is definitely very, he was probably well-spoken before he ever even heard about the gospel. Okay, so there's, there was a difference. Did you? Okay, so, so the, the apostle then is saying there's no other foundation, and, but there are others that come along, and we continue to build. And for the time from the, the apostles till now, there has been a lot of building uh, that has happened. Um, and in verse 12, we get a little bit of an example of how things could be built on that foundation. Uh, particularly, he refers to the building materials. With gold, well, that sounds pretty good, silver, precious stones, uh, even wood, if, if it's the right kind, right grade, uh, right process. Uh, but then you get to hay, and then you get to straw. Is, is the apostle saying here that straw is a bad thing, wood's better, precious gems are better? He's not. He's saying that you can have these differences, that not everybody has the same contribution. Not everybody... 
He may look at, at, at we might call Apollos the, the silver because he really knew how to shine, okay, in his speech, okay? But does that mean that somebody who is not as refined has no place in this building? I think the answer is no. Any of these are actually good because what does he say? Each one's work will become clear. For the day, and what's that day mean? When Jesus comes back, when the kingdom's established, when everything is done, when sin is put away and there is no more. Final judgment, the day of Christ. And it is, it's not put, it's put in a time frame, and yet the day is a, uh, a moment, if you would, where uh, we are judged for our works, for uh, the righteousness that we have, particularly that in Christ. And he goes on to say, um, it will, that Dave will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Oh, that doesn't sound good. The fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That's a kind of comforting and scary thought. It's comforting because God will be glorified in all of this. His, his grace will be made known. His uh, work will be made known. Uh, our work um, that we do uh, will be made known. And whatever is not of God will be removed. Now, it uses this language of a, going through a fire. And... I think we want to be careful not to just simply say, well, there's a, there's a Bunsen burner there. Some of you guys know what a Bunsen burner is. And uh, there, there, where it, you, know, you just go through this hallway or whatever, and then the doors shut down, and then torch, and then next. Um, we, we, this is, this, there's a lot of imagery here. But the notion is that our, uh, the things that we do for God, um, and that uh, God has actually worked in us to bring about our doing them, um, will be seen, will be known. And those things that we do that are not of God will also be exposed, and they'll be put away. And even though you have somebody who is a Christian, who is saved, who's... who's uh, uh, accounted for in the death of Christ and in the resurrection and as a true believer, but has just plain stumbled at every step, even they will, although almost their life, if you would, would be burned, uh, nonetheless 
um, they themselves will be saved and they will know the glory. Okay, so go ahead. I, I think you could go there. I don't believe Calvin does. Um, he does. Oh, okay. Well, then I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I read another commentary, and it, it was not in that line, and here's part of the reason why. These things are grouped all together. It's really hard to separate them. And if you're applying, uh, I, I think the focus is if anyone's work, and he's obviously, I, I, I don't actually see that, I don't, it's not ever, never good to disagree with Calvin. But on the other hand, I think that there, there may be room for another way to view it, which would be to say that, uh, that and you're right, there are many places where it speaks of the wood, hay, and stubble. Right, right. Yeah. But I, I would say, even if we, whichever way we took that, okay, the implication is still here that, that whatever we do do that is um, within God's will, by his leading, um, and for the good of the church, will be recognized. And so even if you just stick with the uh, uh, gold, silver, I mean, generally speaking, when you ask people what's worth more, gold or silver, it's usually gold. Okay, so there is that somewhat of a distinction there uh, that way. But I think it's, it's certainly worth more thought and more, more digging. Bobby?
right. And and that actually the no, the notion of carnal and how the apostles using that could actually uh, go more to defend that the wood, hay, and, and straw is being viewed as those who are carnal by the other. I'm just saying, I, I'm not seeing that real clear in this passage that way. So that, that's, that's the only uh, reason why I hesitate to go there with it. And I do believe that if anyone's work, so it is speaking of everybody who's in, in the church, um, that, uh, that they will uh, nonetheless uh, be saved yet through fire, even if they didn't do, quote-unquote, anything. So, um, and then verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So now he's bringing this out, if you would, of the church broadly, and now he's speaking of each individual as a temple, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we make up, the congregation makes up, uh, as it were, the, the church. It's not the building, it's not, uh, you know, a lot of the things that, that people associate with, with churches. It is a matter of a heart that has been broken and has appealed to God and cries out to God because God is working through them by his spirit, convicting them of their sin. They see the reality of the cross. They comprehend it because God gives them that knowledge and understanding. And so... When that happens, we have the Holy Spirit if you, to, to come and to dwell in us and to reveal, continue to reveal, that very same gospel that we received that brought us into this state of mind, if you would, that we are truly the temple of God and that we are members of God. And later on, we're going to be thinking about what it is to be adopted by God uh, in, in, the, in the message. So we have a lot of things going on here. And uh, again, Paul comes back to something that he said about three or four times before, and that's in verse 18 to 23. And I think I can make it through this, but we may come back to it next, uh, actually next week Tim will be teaching, and uh, the following week then I'll, I can pick up again uh, from, the, from 18. But there's something here I want you to see. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise, this is verse 18, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. 
So the first quote there, verse 19, is from Job, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, and the second ver uh, reference there in verse 20 is uh, from Psalm uh, 19, uh, verse 11. Both of them kind of declaring the same thing that Paul has been declaring to us regarding the wisdom of the world and the fact that that wisdom is really considered foolishness to God. And the reason is because men are coming up with these things out of their own will for their own purpose to, to carry on. And they are denying God in doing that. And, and so we have to be very careful with this. So the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And sometimes it's, it seems really clear to me, and I'm just speaking personally here, it seems very clear to me what is wisdom from the scriptures and what is wisdom from the world. But other times it seems like maybe this particular wisdom that I see that maybe even in the world coming out of somebody that's totally a non-believer um, seems to be able to be applied or seems to have somehow fit in this wisdom that comes directly from the scriptures. Um, it, it's not always a simple thing. And it requires us to be very alert. It requires us to be in much prayer regarding these things because it's very easy. And particularly if you, if you read philosophy at all, it's, um, and even many of the sciences, uh, there are things that are constantly thrown out regarding what is right, okay? Um, the fact of um, uh, the, the, the right to uh, bear arms, the right to free speech, the right to all of those things that are in the Constitution. Now, many of them, we can go to the Scriptures and say, well, there's an agreement in the Scriptures. But that's not with all. We know that a lot of the writers were Enlightenment thinkers. Okay, so we know that there are distinctions there. So we have a dependence upon God's word to understand these things and to test these things. And that is, I believe, very much part of our fellowship that we have with one another. That if I'm confused, I can go to you and ask, what in the world is this? Why is it being said this way? Why is it not being said this way? And in that, we can truly grow in this ability to understand truly what is wisdom that comes from God as opposed to the wisdom that comes from the world. But look how he ends this. This is just amazing to me. Verse 21, Therefore, let no one boast in men, and we get that directly, right? That, that flows right from what he just said. 
regarding the futility of the wise and so forth. But what's he say? For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, things present, things to come, all are yours. That means you all got a pretty big bank account. It's all yours. But it doesn't stop there. <laughs> okay? And you are Christ. That is, you belong to Christ. Christ is, uh, he owns you. Christ is the one who has declared uh, the gospel to us, but he's also achieved the gospel. He's earned the right, if you would, that we would be his servants. He brought us through death into life, into the resurrection, and he has used these men, Paul, Apollos, Cephas. He's even used the world and life and death, and he has brought about his will in us through all of that. And so we belong to Christ, and Christ is God's. Christ belongs to God. And I'll tell you, the unity that is spoken of here is beyond my comprehension even. That I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And that we have that kind of a unity amongst us. And what Paul's saying is, in light of that, in light of that glory, how could you possibly say, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Paul, or seek to make that kind of a division? Because here, the focus is not on who I'm associating with. The focus is completely on the fact that I belong to Christ, that I belong to God. I mean, I, I can't think personally of any more comforting, comforting words than knowing that. And again, we're going to continue a little bit of this theme uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the sermon. But we are out of time. Any last-minute comments or thoughts? And again, I would encourage you as we're in this study, uh, again, next week will be a little different, but as if you can take the time to read through uh, Corinthians, um, it's not a very long book or letter, 
um, think of it as a letter. It all of a sudden gets shorter when it's a letter via a book. Um, and, uh, and again, just, just think through these things. And I, I really appreciate any, uh, any comments here, including um, being told I didn't do it right. So I, <laughs> I really do. Uh, you know, I, I, I rejoice in those things. So, no, I... <laughs> All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we do ask your blessing on us, and we thank you again for your word. We thank you that we indu indeed do belong to Christ, and uh, that together we belong to Christ, and that... Uh, and that Christ belongs to you, and that, that, that we do truly have this unity. We pray that you would uh, just um, cause us to see it, cause us to understand it, cause us to grow in it. And again, we give you thanks and praise. Pray your blessing on the service, and uh, that it would be glorifying to you. And again, we ask that you would bless our pastor, too, as... Um, he is uh, struggling with uh, some issue, medical issues at this time. And again, we ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen.